You're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. Good. It's so good to be with you guys. How many people, first time you've ever been here before? Raise your hand. All right. Awesome. It's good to have you guys here. Awesome. So good to be with you. My name is Corey Russell, and me and my family uh, joined Upper Room two years ago, and it's a... Uh, it's just such a, an honor and a pleasure to run with you guys. Just love the Upper Room family and uh, love you guys and love what God's doing in Frisco. Um, all right, turn with me to Isaiah 40, okay? I'm not real good at um, my intros, so I'm just going to jump in. I, uh, <laughs> I, I am, I'm going to be with you again next week. Isn't that right, Ashley? All right, good. So we can do a little two-part thing here. All right, good. Come on, somebody. Um, I got a lot on my heart. We had a uh, really uh, sweet uh, time this morning. Uh, uh, if you guys know who Lou Engle is, you ever heard of that name, Lou Engle? <laughs> I've, I've known Lou for 25 years, met him in 97, and then we, me and Dana, my wife, they, uh, he, he gathered 450, 500,000 people to the mall in D.C. in September of 2000. And um, we, we made that trip to D.C., and it was a life-defining moment for me and my wife, and it's what led us to Kansas City, and da-da-da-da-da. That's why we're here now. Anyway, we had a very powerful morning at the downtown campus, and usually I'm able to, we, we got really met in a powerful way with just what God was doing with women in this hour, that there's a women's movement that's arising in this hour, and God, we just spent a couple of days together just kind of praying together and seeing God just form some beautiful things. We had a lot of different streams. We had some people from YWAM and from IHOP, uh, House of Prayer in Kansas City, YWAM, Youth with a Mission in Kona, Hawaii, as well as One Voice, uh, which is the high school movement that we have around here connected with Upper Room. So you throw that in with a Lou Engel and you have a nitrogen and glycerin in its explosion. And then you throw the fact that of the, of, of the fact that today at 10 a.m., Jews from all around the world gathered. I mean, secular Jews, rabbinic Jews, those that are devout uh, Jews as well as secular, all the streams, they all gathered together at 10 a.m. this morning, and they pray. They go, the earth is in shambles. We need the Messiah to come back. And they had a global prayer among all Jews across the earth for the Messiah to return. And... And, 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 and we entered into that time, and the Lord released a great burden for Israel. And it's just marking my life, and I really believe that God wants to deepen uh, our revelation of God's heart for Israel and to turn our hearts that are pre predominantly a Gentiles and turn it to Israel because God is going to bring forth a glorious storyline at the end of the age where he's going to bring together Jew and Gentile in an amazing way. You're like, well, okay, here we go. And so, no, it's, it, we are living in those kinds of hours, and many Jews, even today, in, in the land, they, they, they speak of his name. His name is Yeshua in, uh, in Hebrew, but they go, Yeshu. Many of them speak about him. May his name and his legacy forever be forgotten. So most, most hate him and don't want him. But we know the story that all Israel will be saved and that he is going to reveal himself. The Messiah they're crying out for, when they meet him, they're going to, oh my goodness, the one we said is a false is actually our Messiah. 
The story of Joseph and his brothers is a great picture. Y'all know the story of Joseph and his brothers? Two of you do good. You need to read that in the Bible. <laughs> probably a good Pixar thing on it. It, it. You can probably catch it. But, you know, well, I, I'll just kind of get into this, okay? So I'm going to kind of feel my way into this. And, and I, I, you know, Isaiah 40 marked my life personally uh, uh, in 1998. I uh, was engaged to my wife, and I came up to a conference in Kansas City and the preacher was preaching out of Isaiah 40 the whole weekend and how God was going to raise up John the Baptist in the same way he raised up John before the first coming of Jesus. So God's going to anoint forerunners all over the earth who are going to prepare the earth for the second coming of Jesus in the same way that John prepared for the first coming of Jesus. And I, and I, and I don't remember much of that weekend but I remember laying, I was in a very weak state of my life, just being fully vulnerable. Me and my wife were engaged. We weren't doing well with our boundaries. So I came up really shameful and barely made it. Because I, I'm actually speaking into that point that I come up there in a place of, you know, I'm coming to this conference, but I'm not really feeling really confident before God right now. I'm not doing well. And I come and the Lord called me into the ministry in my most weakest and vulnerable state of my whole life. And I want to give you guys hope that he is going to take weak, broken people and he is going to release the forerunner spirit upon hundreds and thousands and millions across the earth that are going to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. This might be new for some of you, but heck, I, was, I learned how to swim. Dad just said swim. And so that's what we'll do with you. So <laughs> I, re I remember laying on my back for three days. And this is what I kept saying over and over again. I don't want to be an echo. I want to be a voice. I don't want to be an echo. I want to be a voice. And that's a direct phrase from Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who John the Baptist said, that's who I am. And I cried out for three days. I don't want to be an echo. I want to be a voice. And an echo is someone who is content to live through somebody else and to, to just spit back phrases that you've heard but yet not really believe in it or own it for yourself. And, an, and, and I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, Corey, it's, it's okay to have a season like that, but I want you doing more than just dancing around someone else's fire. I want you to get in the fire. I don't want you just to rejoice in Mike Bickle or at the time Lou Ingalls' voice. I want you to lay hold of what they've laid hold of. And I believe it, 1998, May of 1998, the Holy Spirit called me into this reality. And that's whatever, 23 years ago. And it is burning in me right now. It's always been burning in me, but I'm really feeling liberty to start talking about these things Isaiah 40, John the Baptist was a down payment of what God's going to release across the whole earth. Okay? When John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, he was saying, I am of that spirit. They said, who are you? Who are you? He goes, I'm Isaiah 40. <laughs> I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God. The fullness of Isaiah 40 is what God's going to do across the earth. 
I want you to see the first couple of verses, and I just want to read some of this, and then I'll share. Comfort. So the, whole, the Lord is speaking to a people, and this is what he's saying. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people. That word comfort, it says, says your God, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Verse 2. Yeah, he goes this, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Keep going. We'll just read this and then we'll, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Keep going. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth for the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We'll just stop right there. The Holy Spirit is commissioning a group of people to comfort Jerusalem during a very specific time period in history. It's been the call since Jesus has died and resurrected for this group to do this. It's been applicable throughout history. It's been applicable at the first coming of Jesus and for the last 2,000 years. But this thing is going to become very clear and very loud to Jerusalem during the coming days of the great glory and great shaking and great pressure that is coming to the nation of Israel. The word comfort, when he's saying comfort, yes, comfort my people, speak comfort, the Lord is saying that the literal phrase is speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. The Lord's saying, I'm looking for a company of people who have had me comfort them and stabilize and strengthen their hearts in the midst of their darkest seasons that they, out of the overflow of what they've received from me, they're now going to release it to my people. Do you know that when Jesus returns, he's not making his, his throne in Dallas? Do you know Jesus is Jewish? Okay? Can I talk about it? Can I talk about it? In Genesis 11, and I'm just going to do it this way. Y'all look at Genesis 11. It's what Babel, it's when the nation out of Babel tried to build this city up to the heavens and the Lord came down and he goes, you know what, if these guys keep going, they're going to mess everything up. And so God confused the languages at Babel and dispersed them all and they got out of their unity and they were dispersed to the nations as God confused all the nations. But in Genesis 12, the Lord says, I've got to bring redemption to the planet. I've got to bring redemption to the planet, and I'm going to do it. He says in Genesis 3, I'm going to do it through the seed of the woman. God's got to bring redemption to the planet, so he's got to choose a man by whom he's going to bring redemption to the planet. Genesis 12 is God calling a man by the name of Abram. Abraham, Abram. And this is what the Lord tells him. He goes, I want you to go leave. Abram was living in modern-day Iraq, the Ur of the Chaldeans. He was living over there, and the Lord says, I want you to leave your father's house, and I'm going to show you a land. I've got a land for you. I'm going to make you a great nation. The literal reality is a righteous nation. And number three, he says this. That's exactly right. To your descendants, I'll give this land. It's, it's, 
So it's probably go back to about verse one or two. He says, I'm going to give you a land. Yeah, now let's roll. To a land that I will show you. Verse two. I will make you a great nation. The Lord is telling this man, I'm going to make you a great nation. He goes, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Here's the phrase. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's powerful. And the Lord chose this man and he just left dad's house going and searching for a land. And he did not enter into the fullness, but he went on this search and on this journey. And the Lord chose Abraham. And in Genesis 15, so the Lord makes a promise right here that God's going to bring blessing through the earth. Through a, God is going to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth through a man. All right, you tracking with me? Well, it's okay if you're not. Go to Genesis 15. Now the Lord is going to visit Abram again. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Well, here's the issue. Abraham was married to this woman, Sarah. They were old. And the Lord keeps promising about a, about a, a, about a promise and about a seed and about a family that's going to come through his line. And Abraham goes, let's go ahead and look at the next verse. Abraham goes, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? His wife was barren. And the only heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He's a servant in my house. He's not even my child. And you keep talking about how through me you're going to bring forth a mighty nation. How are you going to do it? Verse 3. Abram says, look, you have given me no offspring. And the one born in my house is my heir. He says, the one, this one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Get your seatbelt on. Verse 5. Then he brought him outside. So the Lord walks Abram outside. How about walking outside with the Lord God, the pre-incarnate Christ showing up, hanging with him. And he brought him outside and he goes, now look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he says, can you count all these stars up there? Billions of stars. He said, if you can count those, he goes, I want you to know the same number of the stars in the heavens will be your descendants. All right, so the Lord's still prophesying over him. And Abram's like, Lord, how are you going to do this? And here's the phrase, verse 6. The Lord says that, and here's one of the greatest phrases in all of Scripture. The very foundation of our faith is based on this verse. He believed in the Lord, and as soon as he believed that God, listen, would bring forth a child through his 90-year-old barren wife, as soon as he believed there was a divine transaction, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abram is the father of faith to us who believe. Go to verse 7. This is awesome. Then he said to him, I'm the Lord. I brought you out to give you this land to inherit it. Verse 8. He says, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so what the Lord's about to enter in, and so he brought all these to him. He brought the heifer, the goat, the ram, the turtle dove, and the pigeon. I want you to see this. 
Okay, and let's go to verse 10. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle, and he placed each piece opposite the other. So he takes the goat, cuts it in half, puts half here, half there. The uh, ram, half, half. And then he takes the birds, and then the, the other animal, he put the birds on either side, but he did not cut the birds in two. That's, and so what's about to happen? The Lord's about to make covenant with Abram. And in the ancient world, that's how they would make covenant because the point is when the Lord's entering into a covenant, the essence of cutting the animals in two, it's the Lord saying, so this be to me if I don't fulfill the terms of this covenant. I will be cut in two if I don't fulfill the terms of this covenant. He brought them on. Now verse 11. So it's getting later and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So it's, it, it, a matter, there was a matter of time that went on. And while time was going on, the vultures are coming, and he's knocking off the vultures. Oh, get ready. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, no, certainly. And he's prophesying to him about your descendants are going to go into Egypt. Your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Verse 14. Go to 15. And go to 16. And go to 17. Here we go. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, now remember, where was Abram during this time? He was in a deep sleep. When the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two pieces. Verse 18, on the same day, the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the great river Euphrates, and he goes through this long list, and God makes covenant with Abram. I know I'm, I'm kind of diving into this a little bit tonight. What was Abraham doing? What was Abram doing when the Lord made covenant? You know what the Lord was saying? I'm making an unconditional covenant with you. That even when you're unable to fulfill the terms of it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You see two people right there, a burning oven and a smoking torch. It was the father and the son passing between those animals. God was making covenant with himself that God has sovereignly chosen man to bring forth redemption to the whole earth. And God covenanted to this man saying, even when you're unable to fulfill everything, I'm going to do it. And from that reality is the birth of the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. He has 12 sons. The second to the youngest, Joseph, ends up going into Egypt securing them for 430 years. 430 years later, God raises up a, a, a man from the tribe of Levi, a man by the name of Moses, who comes into Egypt and says, let my people go. And through the book of Exodus, the 10 plagues, 
pulls them out of Egypt to take them into the wilderness, to take them to the promised land. God brings them to Mount Sinai and enters into a betrothal, a marriage ceremony with the whole nation. God comes down in fire on a whole nation and God makes covenant. The, the Ten Commandments and the law is the marriage ceremony. It's God saying, I'll be this to you. This is what I ask from you. And the Lord makes covenant with a nation. I mean, five minutes out the gate, they're already playing the harlot, but the Lord's so kind. That's what I love about Israel. They're the statement of us. They're the statement of us. God's saying, if I could do it with them, I could do it with anybody. He makes covenant with this man, with this nation. Moses gets to the edge, and then Joshua brings them in and conquers the land. We have the season of Joshua and then the judges. Then there's a barren woman. There's always women showing up. A barren woman by the name of Hannah who was barren once again. God always births transitions out of barren wombs. God always births transitions out of barren wombs. And a barren woman said, God, I want a son. Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. And out of that barren womb came the priest prophet Samuel. And Samuel dwelt in the house of God from an early age and discerned the voice of God at an early age. And God raised up that little boy who became a prophet in the land and restored the word of the Lord to Israel in a very dark and depressed hour to where the priesthood was in shambles. There was compromise and apathy in the priesthood and God raised up a priest prophet. It says that the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Well, that young boy ended up growing up and becoming the chief prophet in the land and was in the hour that went to Bethlehem after Saul, the first king, had fallen. The Lord sent Samuel to a town called Bethlehem. And he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. One of his sons are going to be the next king. He lines up all the boys. And he's thinking to himself, surely it has to be one of these boys. And the Lord says, stop looking at outside. God, men look at outside. God looks at heart. And Samuel says, do you have any more sons? He goes, yeah, we got one more, but we know you meant all of them. If I talk about a father wound. <laughs> David comes, the anointing of God comes upon that man. God anoints that 16-year-old boy to become king over all of Israel. And we see through the storyline of 1 and 2 Samuel, the storyline of David. And how David so moved God in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord says, guess what, David? You've so moved my heart. You want to build me a house? This is what we're going to do. Your throne and your house is going to live forever. And there will never lack a man who will sit on your throne and a matter of fact, I want you to know the Messiah is going to come through your lineage and he's going to sit as the son of David forever. I'm taking my time here. I got two weeks. <laughs> and we see God raise up 
an hour of David and Solomon brings the whole nation together. This is what we're doing in USM, walking them all the way through. We're going to be hitting Hosea tomorrow. We started in August with Genesis, and we're in Hosea here. I'm excited, man, just looking at it and reading. This is what we're doing. David and Solomon brings the glory on Israel. David caught the ancient longing of God to dwell on the earth. David put the ark, he put a tent, and the glory of God descended over the nation. The Lord would not let David build him a house, so he gave his son the blueprints and gave him $100 billion, saying, don't screw this up, son. Solomon went and built the temple, and the glory of God fell upon the nation, and the fame of God went to all the nations of the earth. It was a picture of the coming day when Jesus is back on the earth, the greater Solomon, and the glory of God is going to all the nations from Jerusalem. Well, like us, 300 years down the well, actually, right, Solomon started really well, but he got weird. At the end, he had a women issue. He had a women issue, and those women led his heart astray to foreign gods. And it opened up a massive door, and it released division in the kingdom. And 300 years later, we're going to see northern Israel destroyed. And then in 586, southern, the, the capital and the temple will be destroyed in 586 by Babylon. And the Jews will be thrown into captivity in Babylon. And you see them over there, and God raised up a man by the name of Daniel in Babylon and Persia who entered into intercession, and God sent forth about a million back to the land. But it wasn't fullness. They began... They got back, they started rebuilding the temple, they got off for a while, they ended up, God raised up prophets like Haggai and Zechariah who prophesied to them and they finished it. And by the book of Malachi, the priesthood was in shambles again and they were bringing lame offerings, weak offerings, blind offerings, they were bringing over what was left. And Malachi says, how about we shut it down? Israel, you have lost the revelation of the glory of my name. I've chosen you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, and you don't know how awesome I am. Can you put Malachi 1.10 up here? And then we'll do Malachi 1.11. Stick with me. 20 minutes. The point is, Israel, you lost the glory, and when you've lost connection with my glory, the nations are not going to walk in the light of what you were made for. Malachi 1.10, Malachi shows up to church, and he says the phrase, shut it down. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you won't kindle fire on my altar in vain? The Lord says, I have no pleasure in you, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. He says that, shut it down, Israel. But I want you to know what I'm about to do. Look at verse 11. Here it is. Says the Lord of hosts. Come on, keep going with me. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. Everybody say a pure offering. Say a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations. Nations. We've seen many times Moses spoke on this. The prophets spoke on this. But here's Malachi talking about it. Israel, you've lost the revelation of my glory. You've lost the revelation of my name. I'm going to go to the nations. 
and they're going to provoke you to jealousy of what you were made for. I'm going to go to the nations, and I'm going to release global incense, pure offerings across the earth. I want you to understand something, and if you're just showing up here first night, welcome to Upper Room. This is what God's doing in the earth right now. Worship and prayer is exploding at such at a historic rate. Houses of prayer, praying churches, praying communities. Ministry to God is becoming the first ministry back in the church. We're at the beginning, but it's only going to increase over the coming decades. And Malachi 1.11 is going to fill the earth. And it's going to lead unto showing Israel who they were made for and who their God is. And it brings us into Matthew, brings us into the Gospels. He comes to his people and they reject him. He weeps over them in Matthew 23. He weeps for them. He's saying, you missed the day of your visitation. How I longed for you to gather you like children, like a, like a, a, a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling that's what he says in Matthew 23, Jesus weeping. And he says, you won't see me again, Jerusalem, get this. You won't see me again until you say, I think it's Matthew 23. I want to get the exact. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Here we go. The very last verse of Matthew 23. I think it's about verse 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's a weighty prophecy as Jesus shows up to Israel and he says, Israel, you're not going to see me again. And that's a quote out of, I think, Psalm 118. You're not going to see me again until you receive me as your Messiah. Until you receive me, you will not see me. And Jesus boxes himself into a prophetic box. And that right there is what's been the enemy's rage over all of history. But at the end of the day, it's about the devil's rage to abort that prophecy. Well, Jesus comes, he dies, he resurrects. He pours out his spirit on the 120 on the day of Pentecost, and the gospel was released from Jerusalem. You're in this room because of that outpouring on the day of Pentecost. And Acts 10, it got wild because what God did on the day of Pentecost, he did it to Cornelius, this Gentile, Roman, and poured it out on his house, and now the gospel opens up into the Gentile world. By Acts 13, they've established it in Antioch, and, the, and God anoints that man, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who's going to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. And Paul writes all of his letters. He, he pours out his life. He says, guys, this is what I'm doing. I'm laboring among the Gentiles. And in Romans 11, he really teases this out. I'm not going to tease out everything, but I'll point you to it. But P Paul's whole mission was this. God 
in his absolute sovereignty and wisdom. And I want everybody to listen to me here. God in his absolute brilliance and wisdom, because before then it was only to Israel. That was the only one that he made covenant with. But through Jesus' death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, now he says, this is what I've done. I've taken wild olive branches, what he calls Gentiles. And he says, I am grafting them in to Israel's covenant with God, Yahweh. I am bringing them through Yeshua into covenant with Yahweh. I'm bringing us who are wild olive branches into that ancient thing that was given, that ancient covenant given to Abram. And now through Christ, you and I have been brought in. Guys, this is historic. But you must understand what the full purpose is or you'll get arrogant and you'll live ignorant and you'll think Christianity is mostly an American Christianity that is built around Dallas and you won't enter into the fullness of the purpose of God, which is now to turn our hearts towards our older brother, Israel, and to labor for their salvation. Let me say it to you this way. Put in Romans 11.25. I'll just use this verse. I'll do Isaiah 40 next week. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. He's writing to Romans here. I don't want you to be ignorant. Okay, don't be stupid. Don't be ignorant. Don't think it's all about you. That's the point. Because I want to tell you we live in an American, individualistic, humanistic Christianity in America. That it, Jesus is all about you. And he wants to deliver us and catch us up into his story. It's an hour for the church to get out of this myoptic, narcissistic, how's Jesus helping me today mentality. And it's time that we get awakened to our true calling and our true purpose so that we can come alive in the purpose of God and live with purpose. He goes, I don't want you to be ignorant lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Keep going with me. Verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. There's other things to talk about. We're in an hour. I just So that, that's all of the... That's all of that. The last 2,000 years, the gospel has been going to the nations across the earth. The gospel, the Bible, the word of God has exploded in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We're in the nations. The gospel has gone forth, but God is going to bring forth something. What Something happened because do, do you know about 40 years after Jesus died, Rome came in and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem and they were destroyed and they were scattered and they were scattered to the four corners of the earth it was absolute horrible and from 70 AD to 1948 they were homeless they were scattered to the nations but through the fires of the holocaust Israel was given back her statehood in 1948 that is a modern-day miracle. 
2,000 years of being displaced in the nations and now placed back in their land, which now sets the stage for hundreds of prophecies to be fulfilled. And then Jerusalem brought back underneath their control, Israel's control, in 1967. Do you understand? I don't. So I'm not saying do you. Do I? None of us do. I don't get it. You don't get it. But it happened. Which now makes us take a step back saying, what kind of days are we living in? What are you doing, God? And from the moment they've landed in that land and Jerusalem's under their control, all eyes have been on that little plot of land that's smaller than Rhode Island in the Middle East. All eyes have stayed there for 60 years as the hostility and the rage and the chaos and the confusion revolves around that little plot of land and that little city. And the all nations, our eyes are right there, guys. There's something going on. Friend, I want you to know Jesus tells us, he's very clear, Jesus himself doesn't know it. He says, no one knows the day or the hour. He goes, I don't even know it. I live dependent on Abba to even know it. But most of us stop there and say, well, it don't matter. Nobody can figure it out then. But Jesus rebukes the Pharisees saying, you can discern weather patterns, but you can't discern times and seasons. Friend, nobody's going to know the day or the hour. But we are commanded to discern the generation. We are commanded to discern times and signs and seasons. Not crazy. We're not about preppers. We're not about, I mean, prep if you want to, do whatever you want. But I want to make some things clear because I know a lot of you are like, I don't even know how to factor this in because most of us have, I believe it's an hour that we go deeper in the Bible and get a more clear understanding of what the Scripture says about the end times about his heart for Israel, about what he's going to be doing in the earth. I, I want to make it very clear to you that God, that the church, I'm just going to tell you that the church is not going to be taken out of here before it all. The church is going to be God's agent of blessing and of, the, it's going to be the greatest days of the church ever. It's going to be the book of Acts on a global scale. It's going to be whole cities out in regions, stadium Christianity. We, it's not about us hiding in our bunkers. See, that, that, that produces escapism. It produces a fear-based escapism that's not biblical. It's a church that puts the world on notice.